0: On today's show, we present a tale of mystery and intrigue, a story from 20 years in the future, where gasoline costs $2.50 a gallon, and electric cars travel 70 miles on a full charge, a twilight zone where down is up and black is white. We travel to the inner sanctum of the highest levels of power To solve the mystery, who killed the electric mail truck?
1: We are completely blaming Postmaster DeJoy, current Postmaster General Louis DeJoy.
2: DeJoy, Mr. DeJoy. Mr. DeJoy, DeJoy. nice uh, introduction. I'm also known as the evil Postmaster General.
0: Oh, well, that was easy. I guess that's the end of our show. Or maybe the beginning. I'm Chris Stemp, the marginally taller one. I'm Donnie Stemp, the slightly skinnier one. It's the week of September 19th, 2022. The atmospheric carbon level is 416.15. Welcome to the week on Earth. So wait a second, in that little intro you just did, was that DeJoy saying that? That was Louis DeJoy himself. I I found some sound bites, we're gonna play more later. It's interesting. So he knows he's a big toolbox. Well, I'm not gonna go that far because I hold out hope that by the end of the episode, the wonderful Postmaster General will hear this and change his mind. So on the show we're gonna be talking about electric mail trucks. I've been looking at my mail carrier, you know, thinking about this story and um, what a hard job that is.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Although I think yours, they actually walk door to door. I feel like you live in that. Yeah. Not here, man. Like it's three acres between here and the next house. They're just driving their little truck, putting along, spewing vile smells and chemicals into the air and they wave and they're they're very kind people.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, here in on our street, I mean, they drive a lot, of course. They park at the end of the street and they walk through everyone's yard. It's like, leave it to beaver there.
3: Hey, you know what I just realized? Do you have PTSD when you see a mailbox? <laughs> like, do, do, you, do you remember? You do remember this, right? Of course I
0: remember. Should, I mean, can we tell the listeners? The year was... 1990-something, I was learning to drive my first car. It was a stick shift. Um, My dad was in the passenger seat. I got completely confused by which pedal did what. I was in reverse. (laughs) I kept hitting the gas instead of the brake. (laughs) (laughs) Drove the car backwards at 30 (laughs) miles an hour through the entire uh, cluster of mailboxes, entire cluster like of mailboxes.
3: All the houses, their mailboxes were in a yeah. row, like they were on one post. And you took out, Just a crashed solid right through six that mailboxes. into our through yeah. our neighbor's yard. What's funny is, you know, Dad then taught me to drive on that very same car. It was a Mazda, um, you know, old Mazda stick shift. And we get in the car. I'm 16, and he goes, "Okay, listen. I've done this once before, and I'm going to tell you the one lesson mm-hmm. I learned." you can always step on the brake pedal.
0: Well, of course, but when you're confused about which pedal is the brake pedal. But point is,
3: I did not take out any mailboxes and it all comes full circle because here you are today trying to save the mail or the boxes
0: or the the people. They have a tough job. They have a tough job and- They do. We would like to make it easier on them by giving them an electric mail truck.
3: Yeah. And not only will it benefit them, it'll benefit all of us. My little kids running around in the street. As I walk my dog behind the mail trucks, as your mail guy walks door to door and eventually hops in his car,
0: cleanliness will abound. (laughs) (laughs) Cleanliness (laughs) will abound. (laughs) More on that big idea in just a few (laughs) minutes. But first, it's time for the news of the week of the week honor honor we're getting closer our top story this week now that we're finally moving into fall after a brutally hot summer is a study on the impact of heat and drought in 2022 a bbc news article suggests that 2022 may be the driest year ever recorded based on studies from the Copernicus Global Drought Observatory. They looked at soil moisture measured by satellites to average out the conditions since the beginning of this century, and they found that Europe has experienced much drier weather than any time since 2000, potentially the worst in 500 years. Also, the period between June and August was the hottest on record in the EU. Elsewhere, China, sub-Saharan Africa, and the U.S. are experiencing critically dry conditions. A February report in the U.S. found that the last two decades had seen the most extreme drought conditions in, wait for it, 1,200 years in the American West. If you heard last week's recycling episode, this next story
3: may be of extra interest. Business Insider reports that Waste Management, America's largest waste hauler, Is investing in a company that recycles plastic shrink wrap. This flexible plastic accounts for a quarter of plastic waste, but only 5% gets recycled. Waste Management says their new venture could help recycle 181,000 tons of plastic film within five years.
0: Yeah, that article caught my eye because it was waste management. We just did that episode and I was immediately skeptical. I couldn't tell whether my skepticism is warranted. It sounds like good news, I hope it is. But as we heard in that episode, there are conflicts with landfill companies working in recycling. Uh, The article also discusses how waste and plastics companies are investing billions in chemical or quote, advanced recycling to handle plastic waste. Environmentalists say this may be a false solution, citing research that found the advanced recycling plants operating today are simply burning plastics for fuel and not turning waste into new plastic products. Also
3: this week, in an update to a story that we have not yet aired but is coming soon, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has reported some good news for the ozone layer, saying that an annual analysis tracking the decline of ozone-depleting chemicals shows the levels of these chemicals, like the famous CFCs and HFCs, have dropped 50%, reaching a significant milestone in the recovery of the ozone layer. The ozone hole that remains over Antarctica is projected to recover sometime around 2070.
0: Much more on this rare good news story in our upcoming episode on how we fix the ozone layer. Finally, tonight, in keeping with this show's theme, couple of electric car stories, The Biden administration on Wednesday approved $900 million for states to build a national electric charging network, a critical step to electric adoption as drivers need to be able to access chargers along major interstates. Biden has set a goal of installing 500,000 chargers across the country, including fast chargers, along 53,000 miles of US highways. Finally, in a weird electric car story, the New York Post reports that a doctor has performed likely the world's first electric car-powered vasectomy. Any questions? Um, no questions, but my t*** just quivered. <laughs> you can't say done t- a podcast. You can't?
3: Does that make us have to mark it as explicit? I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up.
0: But Dr. Chris... What? No, no, go ahead. You don't want to continue this? No. <laughs> Go for it. Dr. Christopher Yang of Austin, Texas, used his electric Rivian truck to perform a vasectomy after the power went out. He ran an extension cord from his car to the operating room and successfully completed the 20 minute procedure. Yet another reason to get an electric car. Excellent story.
2: What's the idea? Hey, what's the big idea anyway? What's the idea? What's the idea? What's the idea? What's the, idea? What's the big idea? What's the idea? wonder what's the big idea. Let's
3: get into the big idea. Who killed the electric mail truck?
0: I'm really excited we finally get to talk about electric cars. I can't believe it took four episodes. This is my favorite topic. And here we are.
3: Yeah, look, I know your obsession with electric cars, but can we just move along? We will spend an entire episode at some point in the future on electric cars.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And we'll make some of those points in this episode that we already alluded to and the fact that any electric mail truck, as well as any electric vehicle, besides the carbon saving aspect of electrifying cars, it just makes our streets and our neighborhoods cleaner. At the very point we walk around them.
3: Well, and think about this, right? Where better to start than the thing that is in all of our neighborhoods that harkens back to the old days of communication, which is the mail truck. And so this is a government entity that can lead by example, that can also have a large yet quantifiable meaningful difference in our air quality. This fleet of vehicles that the government has, if we make all of them electrified, the impact is enormous.
1: The Biden administration has set a directive that all of the agencies and government entities really need to be cutting down on emissions in all of the vehicles across the board.
0: That is Catherine Garcia, the director of the Sierra Club's Clean Transportation for All campaign.
1: And the United States Postal Service has a fleet of vehicles that is enormous, that people see every single day. Um, These postal vehicles really touch our lives personally. And we think that the U.S. Postal Service is overdue for electrifying their vehicles. They need to be curbing pollution both for addressing the climate crisis, but also for improving air quality in communities across the country. However, um, the US Postal Service Postmaster has not not agreed to this. And in fact, put forward a contract where they would keep purchasing polluting vehicles, these combustion vehicles, um, and set their target for electrifying very, very low. Um, and, And we just don't understand why in this moment where there are electric vehicles and it's cost saving to switch over to electric vehicles, why they would decide to keep polluting our communities.
3: So, listen, this is a big story with a lot of moving parts and a lot of updates. The situation's changing fast. It's generated a lot of news stories, public outrage The good
0: news is it's forced the USPS to react. Case in point, after the Postal Service originally committed to 10% electrification, and there was a big outcry and there were lawsuits that we get into in this episode, the Postal Service actually revised that number upward to 40%, which is a win, but we need to keep pushing them to 100%. But let's start at the beginning of the story. Let's bring in Britt Carman and Frank Sturgis of the NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council. Britt is an NRDC senior advocate for federal clean vehicles and fuels, and Frank is a lawyer with the NRDC. So Britt, take us to the beginning of this twisted tale.
4: Well, earlier this year, um, the Postal Service decided that over the next decade it would purchase gas-fueled vehicles for up to 90% of its fleet of new um, 165,000 delivery vehicles. And the Postal Service based this plan on undisclosed and unsupported assumptions about the environmental impacts of gas-powered vehicles and the cost of buying and operating electric vehicles instead. So not only does their analysis ignore the wealth of evidence that transitioning to an electric fleet is feasible... Would save money while cutting pollution, um, and that it would spare communities the air pollution from these trucks that are running through their neighborhoods multiple times each week. But the Postal Service also failed to comply with the National Environmental Policy Act's mandated environmental review by awarding a contract of funds before the completion of their impact analysis. And the law is very clear. It demands that the Postal Service do a thorough analysis of its plans before spending, so, you know, this action is going to place tens of thousands of polluting vehicles on the road for years to come. And we shouldn't be locking in this dependence on gasoline trucks at a time when we need to be transitioning to a cleaner fleet of vehicles, especially given the state of the world and the resulting volatile gas prices we're dealing with. And all of this should have been apparent had they done a thorough analysis, but they did not. So that's why we're suing.
3: Yep. Bring in the lawyers. Frank, over to you, Chris. What
5: the Postal Service failed to comply with is the National Environmental Policy Act. It's a law that requires you, whenever you're taking a major federal action, to look at the environmental impacts of that decision, to look at alternatives, and to disclose that information to the public. They failed to meet that here. Their analysis was flawed from start to finish, and that's why we've taken them to court.
3: Do you believe that, and, and I want to get into the specifics of it, because I've, I've learned enough to be dangerous about what you're talking about. Essentially, the analysis that was done seems criminal, but I, I'd love to take as the unbiased of an opinion and, and approach as possible. Uh, before we get into that, a couple of things. One, do you think it's fair to say that in addition to the environmental impact, there is a, um, a branding impact or a... Um, you know, a societal impact on that. We are trying to make this push towards clean energy, EVs, the importance of climate change. The Postal Service is a a, a literal moving bulletin board. And this just sends the signal that we don't value this new technology that can reduce carbon emissions as a country.
4: I would even take that a step further. You know, the Postal Service actions, they're placing tens of thousands of polluting vehicles on the road for years to come. And by their own estimates, the environmental toll will be substantial. They estimate that the new fleet would consume over a hundred billion gallons of gasoline annually. And additionally, their analysis failed to give any serious consideration to the impact that these new gas burning vehicles would have on communities that are suffering from air pollution, which is particularly troublesome considering that a disproportionate amount of these communities are communities of color and low income communities.
3: Let's let's pull back a little bit and say, you know, if I know nothing about this and I, I hear what you both just said, I say this makes no sense. OK, they're, they're not telling the whole story. This is impossible. Nobody makes this decision. And that's how I feel right now. Let's play the role of the Postal Service right now. Why? What possible motive could they have to make this decision?
4: Um, I know Louis DeJoyce claims that the decision was driven by financial considerations, but the, there was a recent Federal Fleet Electrification Assessment Report that found that by 2025, battery electric vehicles could replace 97% of the Postal Service's vehicles at a lower total cost of ownership than their gas, diesel, gas or diesel powered counterparts. Um, and today, 90% of the Postal Service's routes could be done by electric vehicles and even the Inspector General of the Postal Service stated that um, EV technology is capable of meeting the Postal Service's needs and could save them money in the long run.
3: So is it as cut and dry in that, yet again, we made a decision that is short-term gain for long-term cost, and so we can buy these new vehicles cheaper today, if we just say right now is cheaper to acquire gas powered vehicles than it is to acquire electric vehicles and charging stations. If we're just looking in the immediate term, is that about as complicated as it gets?
4: Correct. And again, you lay it all out very clearly. It makes zero business sense and it runs contrary to the administration's goals of electrifying their um, federal fleet. So let's talk
3: about um, the analysis that was done. Um You know, I read that they based their cost estimates on uh, a gallon of gas being somewhere around $2 and 20 cents, which at the time it was already like more than that. But then they said by 2040, we will estimate that the cost of gas will be, I think it was what I have, 250 a gallon. Now let's just pause for a second and ask any sane human, what do they imagine the price of gas will be in 2040? And if you come up with a number less than $4, I'm gonna commit you to an insane asylum. How can they, with a straight face, talk about that analysis with any rigor?
5: You hit it right on the head there, Chris. The analysis relied on stale data. The furthest out projection they have for a gallon of gas, 2040, they said $2.55. That information was stale before they even began their environmental analysis. And everybody knew it. We commented on that. Our partner organizations commented on that. Other federal agencies, EPA, commented on that being bad data that was out of date. But the Postal Service, instead of fixing their errors, they doubled down on that analysis and stuck with their decision of going with this 90% gas-powered fleet. If you're getting the price of gas wrong and you're talking about vehicles that are going to consume, that will consume over 100 million gallons of gas a year, that's a huge impact on the price decision. And if you think that cost is what's going to drive this decision, and the postal service's indicated cost was a main factor that they looked at here, getting that number wrong, getting that data incorrect, is going to end up with you making a decision that's not informed.
3: You know, I could see a world where, okay, although the majority of the new vehicles being purchased are gas-powered, uh, perhaps they have, you know, better technology to get double, triple the um you know miles per gallon as the existing ones so the 30 year old mail trucks of today uh get about 8.2 miles per gallon i'm assuming that these newly purchased gas vehicles will have new state of the art technology tell us about you know is there any uh new benefits of of using new technology although they're gas powered
5: let's stick with the miles per gallon comparison the existing old postal trucks, as you said, get 8 point two miles per gallon. The new trucks that they're purchasing with the air conditioning running would get eight point six miles per gallon I, I can't that that's not a big
3: difference I am I, struggling to ask questions other than can you make sense for me so I'm um, let's we'll I'll, I'll help move on. What I want to ask is you know there are considerations with electric vehicles such as charging stations you mentioned a good point, right? um these I, I don't know and maybe you do. Uh, how far these vehicles travel at a time is it feasible uh, you know can they do their job with the current technology in electric vehicles and the range that they have and would there be an exorbitant cost in adding all of these charging stations for 165,000 vehicles what does the analysis show there in the postal services analysis
5: they assumed that batteries would have a 70 mile range per charge and they kept this as a static Assumption across the 10 years of their purchases. So they're not even reflecting improvements in battery technology So let's take that 70 miles at face value We know that the average postal service route is 21 miles So this seems like a great fit for electrification. That's a consistent route You're going to be running it six days a week and you know the distance the average route is 21 miles compared to a 70 mile charge. You might not even have to charge every vehicle every night That can play out into your decisions around charging infrastructure. Do you need one charger for every vehicle, or can you share chargers across vehicles? These are things that the Postal Service should have looked at in their analysis. These are things that were pointed out to the Postal Service during their environmental review, but they didn't get into those details. And as a result, they didn't have the analysis they needed to make an informed decision.
0: Down the rabbit hole we go. Thanks Britt and Frank from the NRDC for shedding some light. We also have Catherine Garcia with the Sierra Club with us. Sierra Club has been heavily involved in this. They've been part of the lawsuits against the USPS and they're organizing a clean transportation for all campaign. It's a public pressure campaign.
3: Catherine, does public pressure work? Do we as US citizens and voters have a say in how our post office is run?
1: Well, in terms of democracy, you you often have these um, public comment periods and these hearings, and there are these opportunities for for residents and advocates to to step up and and and, and share their perspectives, and and we have Sierra Club members and. Um, Members of environmental organizations across the country submitted comments, and we're feeling ignored because thousands of comments didn't do anything, and um, we're we're just really disappointed at how slow the U.S. Postal Service is in acting and changing their ways.
3: Who would you say is pushing the most for this decision? Is there one person or or, or a small group that is really in charge? of what seems like, honestly, just a crazy uh, choice to to go forward with this.
1: So we are completely blaming Postmaster Like This is his decision. It rests with him. He is the one that is choosing to opt for fossil fuel trucks and choosing against increasing the number of zero-emission trucks as well. And, and really, he was overseeing the uh, draft environmental review statement and all of the research there. The uh, the decision rests with him.
3: What could be his possible rationale be?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, um, we,
1: I don't, I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. I'm asking you to see inside someone's brain. So it's <laughs> it's completely fair. I was just curious if If you were better at seeing it than I was. Donnie, Donnie, is that you? We're in the middle of an interview here. What are you doing?
0: Uh, Yes, I'm cutting in with breaking news. That's my breaking news music. You want to know what DeJoy was thinking? I actually found an interview with Postmaster DeJoy from earlier this summer, and he has directly asked about this issue. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, bring it on. Okay. Now, you may regret that, but... Uh, buckle in. I'll warn you that this will take about three minutes of your life. You won't get it back. DeJoy explains his thinking on some of these things, the 10%, then the 40% number. Uh, let's just see what you make of it. Here he is. Um.
2: So what was
3: behind the recent Decision to expand the number of electric vehicles. Yeah. I believe you're going to be a 40 or 50 percent of the acquisition
2: I am some so the, glad you asked that because some of the media
3: reports were kind of saying well This is you know DeJoy folding to pressure yeah. from Congress
2: and lawsuits from stakeholders yeah. and that sort of uh, stuff That's one thing I don't do. Okay, but I also don't go down a path of Without a number of options listen the the the, the, the story on what the post you know what the Postal Service was doing with regard to vehicles and electric vehicles was just miscast. We knew we knew a hundred, need 160,000 vehicles. I made a decision. I looked at the vehicles um, uh, and made a decision that we needed. We needed to move on stuff. You can't sit on this. You know the, the vehicles weren't getting younger. We got people that are told not to put the vehicle in reverse when you go out to deliver. Right? They're burning up on the streets when you when, when, when you're out there. So I said, let's buy. We committed to the minimum order, 50,000. I said, let's, let's buy 50. We do the NEPA filing, and the NEPA filing with, what the heck, I didn't even know about it, NEPA filing at the time. NEPA filing, when you, when you file it, it says, it makes it look like we're buying 180,000 vehicles and uh, uh, you know 10, 10, that were gonna be 10% electric. That certainly was not the intention. I couldn't do what I'm doing right now if that was the intention. At that particular point in time, we put 10% because we didn't know a lot about the cost and risk of our infrastructure to support this. But none of the vehicles, based on the mileage that we were driving, which was an average of 12 miles, right, justified the difference in, uh, um, uh, in, 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 in cost, the overall total cost model. None of them. Okay? Then we had a further thing, the risk of implementation. We have 19,000 delivery units. Most of them I'd be afraid to plug a coffee pot in, let, let alone put electric vehicle infrastructure in it. We would have to dig in and bring amperage and so on and so forth. We put the 10% in there because Congress was considering giving us money. right? We, we put the 10% in because we were dipping our, our toes into it to keep it, you know, to keep it open. Our contract enables us to do more. And then Congress got involved, and really, in Build Back Better, there was $6.9 billion allocated to the Postal Service for electric vehicles. I went out today and said, all right, I got $2 billion, $3 billion. I want to buy electric vehicles. You know how many buy? Two, because they're not available, right? So the whole thing is typical of what the Postal Service has experienced over the last 10, 15 years. You go to do something that has to do with your business and trying to save the organization, and you get a bunch of uh, bunch
3: of noise. I mean, bunch of noise. <laughs> okay. It makes you realize that nobody knows what they're doing. Like, you could go anywhere, okay, all the way up to these levels. This dude has no clue what he's talking about. He wouldn't know a mail <laughs> truck from a trash truck.
0: No, clearly. Sorry, I'm getting heated. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's talking about, but I can follow his line of excuses a little bit. He's saying that this is new and I don't know what to do. Oh, okay, Boomer. Like,
3: move along. This is why we need, you know, age limits because these dudes, he just mentioned plugging in a coffee pot.
0: Well, maybe. I mean, some of these postal. You know, the infrastructure there is maybe dangerous. It possibly needs upgraded electrical lines. You know, these are things that every organization is going to deal with and have to adapt to. Yeah. That's your Postmaster General. That's his explanation. Um, I, Let's get back to some people who do know what they're talking about. Catherine Garcia with the NRDC. Catherine, do you think there's any chance the USPS will continue to reverse these decisions they've made and get us back to a more favorable outcome?
1: Yeah, I think it will be reversed. I mean, it's just going to take a process. And and what's unfortunate is the postal vehicle drivers are going to be continuing to drive their combustion engine vehicles and to be exposed to these fumes and the communities will be impacted by these emissions for much longer than necessary. Um, but I do think that we're gaining traction, and what we're demonstrating is that the U.S. Postal Service did press on with a flawed proposal, and we're confident that the courts will see um, will see our case.
3: If you were able to, you know, sit down with DeJoy, if you were able to get a meeting, what would be the message?
1: So the first thing I would say to DeJoy is, I'm a mom. And as a parent, as a caretaker, I think about what kind of world my kid is going to grow up in. And this isn't what kind of world he's going to grow up in, you know, in 10 years. It's like when he's playing soccer, when he's running, when he's bike riding, what is he going to be bike riding behind? You know, when I ride my bike and I'm behind a postal vehicle, I feel that pollution, I feel it, I smell it, I am affected by it, and I have asthma. And so this isn't one of those things where it's like, what kind of world am I leaving my grandkids? You know, This is, of course, I think about that too, but my kid is two years old, and as he's running to the park, I wanna make sure he has clean air for every breath he takes. And so Postmaster DeJoy has the power today to transform the world my kid is living in. And I would insist that he take that responsibility
3: seriously. Wow, that's really, really powerful. I couldn't agree more. (music) Finally tonight, we're going to bring in a scientist to round out this discussion. There's a brand new study from the University of Michigan that came out on August 26th and got a lot of attention for looking at the methodology of the USPS in determining the environmental impact of switching to EVs. Even after the postal service upped their commitment to 40% electric vehicles, the flaws in their original environmental analysis
0: remain and they need to be addressed. Max Woody is the lead author of that study and he joins us now. Max, you looked at the original impact statement then you ran your own study. What did you find?
6: On the gas vehicle side, we found that the USPS is underestimating the emissions of the gas vehicles by about 15%. And then on the electric vehicle side, we found that they are overestimating the emissions of the electric vehicles. And that amount varies based on what assumptions you use for how the electricity grid will develop you know, over the next 30 years. So we found between 8% with very little grid improvement, kind of a business as usual scenario, all the way up to 63% improvement if we actually meet our grid decarbonization goals. So that combination of 15% underestimation of the gas vehicles and that 8 to 63% overestimation of the electric vehicles means that overall, uh, the USPS estimates roughly 10 megatons of savings by going to gas vehicles, and we, es- and we estimate roughly 15 to 21 megatons. So in the favorable grid scenario, that's more than twice the savings estimated by USPS.
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in science, that's a big difference, isn't it?
6: Yeah, that's, that's a huge difference. You know, some of the issues that we identified here, particularly the, the, the grid decarbonization, that makes a huge difference in how clean the electric vehicles are. And what the USPS did, not including yeah. projected grid decarbonization in their model, is a really strange assumption to make.
0: Okay, so postmaster DeJoy, it's plain to see your study was flawed. Um, If you're having trouble finding real scientists to conduct your analysis, we've got one for you right here. Burn. Mm. Max, how do you and your colleagues see these types of studies influencing decisions in the real world?
6: Well, we hope that they definitely have a big impact on the real world. We don't want this work to just stay in academia to be read by other scientists. We hope that this helps actually influence decisions so that we do see a better outcome, a more favorable outcome. Uh, That would be an important part of the work. Um, The science shouldn't end once a paper is published. It should then go out into the world and then hopefully do something.
3: In summation, as I'm tending to do after these episodes, here's what I'm realizing. Number one, we need the government to be the stewards of whatever next generation improvements we're making as it relates to climate change. And all hope is not lost. I'll be honest, when we first started and I first heard these interviews, I thought we will not make any progress on this. Nobody cares. It will get swept under the rug. And we will deal with this for decades to come. And in a relatively short time frame, we went from 10% to 40% electrification. Now look, change happens in increments. The fact that it's happening at all is a really good sign. Yes, we have a ways to go. But I think one of the themes in just these four episodes is that progress is being made. Let's own that because we can all continue to make steps forward.
0: Uh, Yes, your optimism is warranted. I feel it too. Um, I can't wait to see these electric mail trucks when they roll through my neighborhood. I've seen some pictures of them, just like all the other EVs I love. They look cool and they're gonna be cool and quiet and powerful and clean. We would like to thank Catherine Garcia of the Sierra Club and Britt Carmen and Frank Sturgis from the NRDC. Our show is produced by Elise Louie with music by Amy Eileen Wood. This is the most critical part of the episode.
3: As we want to continue making change in the world as it relates to climate, we need your help. So number one, make sure you follow the podcast wherever you listen and also share it with those you think care about these things. Additionally, we need your help with the show. If you're interested in it, want to help with outreach, editing, who knows what, we could use you. Email us at weekonearth at gmail.com.
0: That's our show. We'll see you again next week, right here on Earth.